Welcome back to the It's Telehealth podcast. I'm your host, Keenan Hart, uh, President and Chief Innovation Officer of Integrated Telehealth Solutions. I am joined today by my co-host, Andre Simmons, and we have a very special guest, Dr. Marvin Finnefrock, with us today. Um, today, we're going to talk about some awesome topics, specifically um, talking about pharmaceuticals, talking about the history of telehealth, and talking about Dr. Finnefrock's massive experience in telehealth, as well as the space of pharmacological um, study as well. Incredibly excited to have you here today. Uh, Dr. Finnefrock, welcome to the Thank show. Thank you, Keen. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, just want to talk basically about um, your general experience, first of all. So how did you start in um, healthcare in general? Tell us a little bit about your history. So I, I, am, uh, I actually was in uh, healthcare before I even went to school. I actually did some deliveries for a local pharmacy uh, that was on the corner when I was a kid on my bike. So, it, you know, that was kind of like my first introduction to that. But, um, you know, as I, as I went through high school and went and started to think about college after that, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, I thought back to those days and, and I actually took a pharmacy technician course at the local college uh, just to, uh, you know, just to really be honest with you, to get a job. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I was 18 and, and I was working in a pharmacy, you know, with a, with a pharmacy technician certification. I spent about two or three, probably actually a good four, four years, uh, you know, working in a hospital pharmacy. I was the, I was the Ivy room technician. I was the buyer. Uh, yeah, actually I had, you know, great mentors, you know, that were there. And I, I started looking around and thinking, you know, this is a job you know, I could do, maybe I can make those kind of dollars that the pharmacists were making. So, you know, I, I decided then to go to pharmacy school. So, you know, I, I got my prerequisites, got into USC School of Pharmacy, very prestigious uh, school in Southern California, and, um, you know, graduated with a doctor of pharmacy. I then did a, a residency with clinical and, and pharmacy uh, management. And uh, after that, it's just been, you know, just a, a great roller coaster ride. I mean, I, I got a chance to be a ER pharmacist. I, I then went and worked for, you know, a couple large medical groups in Southern California, uh, working with the uh, healthcare plans, uh, working under managed care. Uh, then I went, I went back to the hospital, was clinical coordinator at a, at a couple hospitals. Uh, then I got a great opportunity to work with a company called Comprehensive Pharmacy Services as pharmacy management. So I developed, there I developed a clinical team and oversaw the purchasing. And just always, you know, it, as kind of my history shows, just always being innovative, looking for those opportunities. And uh, before I came to work, with uh, ITS, I actually was a client, so I actually uh, utilized the some of the the stuff that ITS was uh, formulating and and looking for those opportunities. And I recently left uh, CPS, and and for the last uh, couple of months, you know, I've been working as chief strategy officer and and pharmacy advisor. Uh, with ITS and, you know, it's just a great time to be in telehealth is, is all I can really say. Awesome. Awesome. Before we get into that, I want to go back a little bit because I always find it interesting when people start on a career path and it's all, it's linked back to something that they started long before they even made a decision to be on it. It's almost like pharmacy chose you, you know what I mean? You know what I, mean? Exactly. And then yeah. that's, I mean, is that, is that how you feel? I mean, is that, do you that, feel like that's, that? I think that's a great that's a great way to look at it. I'm I'll be honest with you, I've never thought of that. Well, so my I, question I is, you know, that. obviously this was a time that I always heard about when I was a little kid, and I'll give you an example. I always heard about, you know, my grandma or my aunt or my uncle giving some money to one of the little cousins and telling them to go down to the corner store to go pick up some cigarettes or a bottle of alcohol or something like that. And I think about what an amazing time that was in history because there was so much trust. You came down with a handwritten note. And now you're running back the groceries to the fam. So you talked about you were making runs as a little kid delivering pharmaceuticals from your local store. When was that? That was that was the late 70s um, or mid 70s. Yeah. So, you know, it was 
And I think the trust, the trust piece is really important. You know, thanks for bringing that up because, you know, the, the pharmacy obviously trusted me, the patients uh, trusted me that I was going to deliver within a certain timeline. You know, we didn't have, didn't have cell phones, didn't have internet, certainly didn't have texting. (laughs) And I'm sure those are, yeah, those are certainly things I know we're going to be talking about today, but you know, so so it, it was it was something built on absolute trust. You know? Wow, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, so you've had basically what you've covered is the full gamut of experience in healthcare in general. You know, you've been a part of organizations um, that have delivered strategy. You've really been on the cutting edge even before you came to us. Um, specifically, when you were looking to start getting into your pharmacy background and you went to USC, what was that experience like for you? Southern California. Um, a great time, an amazing school. Tell us a little bit about your history at school in general, going through that school as well. What are some of the things that you remember most? Yeah, you know, I, I think the, um, you know, one of the things that I always wanted to do was to be able to help, you know, and I think, you know, healthcare, it, that's what it's all about, right? The, the center of healthcare is the patient. And I think a lot of times we, you know, corporations and, and entities, just forget about the ultimate, the ultimate client or the ultimate, um, the ultimate end of the day is the patient, right? That's, that's who we're really there for. And I think, you know, that gets lost in the shuffle of, of technology and machines and, and everything else. So, you know, being focused on that and, you know, um, being able to, to counsel patients, uh, deliver education, and really be there, you know, for those patients, you know, some of the, some of the rotations and things that I remember best was, you know, ambulatory care rotations where, you know, pharmacists were actually seeing patients, taking care of patients, ordering lab tests, counseling on them on their medications. I mean, those are the, the pieces that I found enjoyable and it was rewarding because you got instantaneous feedback, right? I mean, a patient's going to tell you exactly, you know, what they feel and just the fact that they have someone that they can access is, you know, just probably the most important thing. The, the most important part of a patient's recovery is not having that worry that, you know, what's going to come next or, you know, who can I go to for information? I think um, our overarching theme at ITS is the patient experience, right? So we're trying to, from A to Z, right. make that the best possible experience. Um, in those early days, how did you how did you see or what gaps what gaps did you see from pharmaceutical to the physicians where where there might have been some some uh, some pain points for for patients um, in in that space? Yeah, you know the I, I think probably the biggest pain points and. Uh, you know, I like to keep things simple, right? You know, patient wants things simple. Think about, you know, being a patient. It's like, I I don't want to know about the latest technology. I don't need to know the details of that. And I think sometimes we get, we think that the, that's what the patient wants to hear. Let me tell you all the details about this laser therapy or about this delivery device. But that's not really what the patient wants to hear. The patient wants just a very simple stuff. Am I going to be okay? Is someone going to be here for me? You know, do I, you know, if I have a problem, who do I talk to? So I think, you know, those, those are the very simplistic things that, you know, what a patient's looking for. So the, and so it, you know, what it centers around a very basic stuff, communication. And so the gaps I see then, and you know, unfortunately they're still there today, is really that communication piece. You know, trying to get a hold of a physician, trying to get a hold of a service for the physician, trying to get a hold of a patient, uh, a patient even taking a call. You know, many patients, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but they get discharged from a hospital and then they see the hospitals calling them. You know, the first thing they're thinking of, oh, you know, they're looking, they looking for me to pay a bill or there's some other thing, you know, so they're not thinking about their well care. Now there's more you know, psychological burden being added to them. So, you know, I think just having, you know, that, that whole communication piece is the piece sure. that was missing then and still missing today. Sure. I mean, just as a, a you know, a casual 
thinker, um, one of the biggest like disconnects probably is like you show up at your pharmacy expecting that you're going to, uh, whether it's Walgreens, CVS, whatever, and you're saying you're thinking you have a refill, for example, right. available. And they go into the computer and they and they find out that you do not. And you're standing there in pain. And now you have to like revert that energy back to the physician and try to figure out where the disconnect is. That's something that I think that we can solve. Is that would you agree with that? And it wouldn't be wouldn't it be great if there was a way to communicate that before you even showed up, or if, or if there was a way to say, hey, here you know, here's how many refills you have. Uh, you know, here's some expected. You know, if you're taking your medicine correctly, this is when they should be due. And you know, it all should be very simple. But unfortunately, there's no there's no one piece that connects that all together. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I keep hearing you talk about is the trust in the relationship that you form with your patients. And I think that's very interesting. And I never really, you know, before I met you and before I started to understand more about the pharmaceutical space in general, is you really are a trusted counselor. Right. I think about what it's like when I go to the doctor and they give me a prescription. I know nothing about this tab that has this name written on it that I've never heard of before. And I go to the pharmacist and I expect them to be able to give me a good understanding of what I'm taking and why I'm taking this. So in, I'm just wondering, in your process of schooling, was your patient interaction and your ability to counsel people a major focus on how you got your professional accreditation? What kind of stuff did you have to learn in your schooling process to try to you know, communicate those things to your patient? Yeah, really, it, you know, it really was around the patient experience, you know, like we had mentioned before. And, you know, one of the things of being in a, a really innovative school like I was, you know, that the patient was the forefront. And so your education all centered around that, you know, disease state management, you know, knowing, you know, detailed uh, physiology of, of the patient, the course of all the pharmacological things that you would think, you know, would happen, you're getting all that piece, but you know, that's, and that's great stuff. You could read that in books, right? But how do you deliver that to the patient? That's what's important. So you've got a very short time. You've got to tell the patient, you know, some very detailed and complicated things. So, you know, how you deliver that message is really important. Sometimes, you know, the simplest is best, let the patient ask questions or, or, I mean, one of the things you never want to do is tell them, you know, like you see advertisements on TV about medications. And by the time you're done with, you know, here's all the symptoms from the medications, it's like, I don't think I want to take that. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of times it's best not to tell them every possible thing. Tell them some of the most common things that happens and ask them, you know, have you ever felt any of these or have you experienced this, you know, and then knowing some patient background, of course, you know, having access to the chart and, and, and really having that patient as a, as a client, uh, you know, then you build that relationship and then you understand, you know, what they're going through and maybe some of the uh, idiosyncrasies that happen out there. If you look at, you know, our bodies, there's probably no more complicated biological system than the human body. Sure. And, you know, I, uh, you know, every, and then everyone feels and experience things differently and you can't always account for that, or you can't always prepare for that. You just have to know what to do when it happens. <laughs> That's kind of funny that you mentioned the, um, like telling all the side effects, because I'm thinking as technology moves forward, which is great. We also have this, had this, have had this recent movement of like where you have those uh those television commercials with the with the pharmaceuticals and and they tell you everything every possible side effect that you could possibly experience maybe and by the time they get to the end of that list i don't want any of it yeah <laughs> I, don't I don't want anything to do i, I think the, the disease i have or condition i have may be better than that Unfortunately, that you know that that's a, a some legality that the pharmaceutical companies I think have to do for direct to consumer advertising. But it does it does tell you it kind of gives you behind the scenes of what those things can do. So you are listening to the It's Telehealth podcast. For more information regarding integrated telehealth solutions, our products and services, or telehealth in general, text us at seven seven five. 
We are also available on all social media platforms at It's Telehealth or contact us on our website at integratedtelehealthsolutions.com. Tell us about one of your experiences you've had as a pharmacist when a patient has come into a clinic that you've been in, into a pharmacy. Do you ever have like a staple worst case scenario or worst memory that you've had with a patient, someone who's either been elderly, someone who's uncomfortable, someone who wants to talk about their medicine? Tell us about some of those experiences. I know you've had to have some of those. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's thousands of them, you know, I have to, I have to sit back and, and really think hard about a few of them because there is so many, um, you know, that I think there's ones, everything from, you know, you know, worst case scenarios of, of things happening all the way to things that would probably break your heart. So, you know, if I, if I kept it at a kind of a higher level, you know, I think some of the, uh, most of what happens is that, you know, in the early days, it was just uh, confusion about what they were, what they're taking, you know, and, you know, some of the scariest things is that, you know, a patient has a brand name drug and then they got prescribed a generic, but nobody ever thought to ask them, do you already have this at home or what do you have at home? And so now they end up taking both the brand name drug and the generic for that drug, which are equivalent. And now they're double, they're double dose. So, you know, patients used to come into the ER all the time with something like that. So, you know, somebody could have just asked the right question or asked a question you know, a lot of that, you know, could, could have been stopped. Uh, so that's why that, that whole education piece is so important. But, you know, I, even when I was seeing, I had some of my own clinics, I had asthma clinic and anticoagulation clinic and an Olympic clinic, you know, e even going through that and working directly with patients, you know, a big piece of that was the education. Uh, like I said before, you know, just, you know, just the pharmacist background is really all about education. You know, what I found was that uh, patients were just relieved knowing that there's someone that they could contact, that they had a way to contact somebody and that they would be readily available for them if they did have a question. You know, I never had, you know, patients just calling because they were lonely. You know, I, you could tell that when you talk to them. Uh, but I never had anybody that would just, you know, kind of abuse the system a little bit. You know, patients really do respect your time and, and that's valuable, but, you know, they do want to get their questions answered. So, you know, it, it, it ran the gamut, you know, uh, you know, working as an ER pharmacist in a, in a trauma center, you know, those, those kind of the very different uh, environments and and of course, very horrific things that came through. But, you know, I think, again, kind of keeping it very basic to what most patients experience, and it's unnecessary. Uh, you know, I think, you know, having, having the patient know that someone's caring about them or someone's looking over them or, you know, even looking through their list of medications, you know, that's, there's a lot of relief for them to know that, that someone does care and that, the mistake, like I said, that happens very frequently, that doesn't happen. I mean, that is one of the things that I remembered about both of my grandparents as they started to get older. You know, and I think this is common as we all kind of think about opening up our grandparents' um, medications, mm -hmm. little cabinet, right? Yep. There's so many different types of medications and half of those bottles are sitting there full because they've been given so many different prescriptions through time that part of, you know, recognizing that there has to be a reconciliation process to recognize, am I taking this? Am I taking that? Why am I taking this? Is this the same? Because, you know, that was one thing that my grandpa and my grandma, who was his caregiver um, close to the end of his life, really started to recognize that he was taking the same medications that do something. And then other medications were complicating, you know, something that was supposed to be accomplished. And that's a difficult process. So how do you guys really address that at the point of care with a patient? Because, you know, as technology continues to progress, there's different EHRs. We've got health systems that are still using paper records. How do you, as a pharmacist, really try and get the best possible view into the history of someone's prescription history? That's a great question. And it really is quite stressful, both from the caregiver's perspective and from you know, the healthcare provider because of that, you know, there's actually, 
now there's actually uh, laws that, you know, when a patient comes into a hospital, you have to do what you said is actually called medication reconciliation. What it really is, is a medication, a, a, a full medication review. So, so yeah, the question is, well, how do you do that? Because most patients may know two or three of their drugs. The drug name is about that long. They can't pronounce it. So you ask them, well, what are you taking? They can't even pronounce it correctly. So you're kind of guessing if you try to do it that way. Sometimes they may remember to bring their medications in. Sometimes they may remember to bring three medications in because those are the ones they take because they couldn't afford the other two medications that you thought they were on. So, you know, when you when you take that that whole scenario into consideration, it is a daunting task. Uh, um, plus, now a pharmacist has to take their time away from their other duties and sit down and kind of track, you know, be an investigator, call pharmacies, call physicians, try to figure out, you know, what exactly is this person supposed to be on, but then also understand what of that medication list, what are they actually taking? And for the patient to be honest and say, hey, you know, I just couldn't afford that one, so I didn't, I didn't take it, you know. And that's, that's a real case scenario that patients just can't afford it. So having a way that you can communicate to, with the patient, with the patient's family, uh, many times the family uh, knows what they're taking or thinks they know what they're taking, but at least that gives you another investigation at the very thing out pharmacy and get that position and mesh that all together to try to come up with a true medication list of what they're actually taking and then what they're supposed to be taking. Uh, again, if there was a communication way that you could do that, that is the ideal because systems do not talk to each other. So if you think that your local pharmacy and the hospital you got admitted to are communicating, that's not happening. So when the average person thinks of telehealth, um, we think of virtual visitation or with or a face-to-face -face with a doctor. How uh, or where is the intersection of pharmaceuticals and telehealth? Let me set back just one step and talk about maybe, um, I guess, traditional pharmacy telehealth as it exists today and, and prior to COVID. Uh, pharmacy telehealth really uh, was waking the pharmacist up in the middle of the night to review and approve an order that was written when, you know, the pharmacy staff have left for the day in the hospital. So, you know, that's kind of the traditional uh, telepharmacy tele service that are, that are delivered. You know, what, what I'm working on and what we're working on at ITS is to talk about a different option for pharmacy. You know, so it's it's more around the traditional telehealth way of doing things, but really it really integrates a lot of the things that we've just talked about. So it's all about communication with the patient, communication with the provider, communication with family members. It's that medication reconciliation process. It's it's patient counseling. It's even patient uh, pharmacist rounding. Uh, within the hospital, you know, a pharmacist is a, probably one of the most highest paid hospital employees, and you've got that person overseeing, uh, you know, a team of people in the pharmacy, plus they have to be there to verify orders and to check in narcotics and things like that. So they may not be able to be out on the floor with the nurses where they should be. So having a way to communicate that or to be in the, be a presence going on rounds with physicians in the ICU or even being there for the nurses to, to ask about a, a medication um, issue that they may be having. So going through that, maybe even, you know, on the phone, it's okay, but if you had a visual experience that they can show you, hey, here's, here's what's happened to the IV, it's, it's not running, uh, what do you think? You know, having that visual piece is so important. So when you think about you know, and then you know, hospital uh, employees now is is uh, you know, there's a lot of um, missing uh, seats within that within that whole realm of of having enough healthcare workers. So anything that we can make that experience more efficient and having a way to communicate again, having that visual piece of it is the piece that's missing. <laughs> 
not something that has always made sense to me um, about telehealth. You know, back when we started the company in 2014 and we were looking at the laws and we were just talking about what does telehealth really mean? And in the state of Nevada, there was a parity law that said that you can have a virtual interaction with your doctor and be paid as if, or your doctor will be paid as if you were in the office. And so naturally, you know, me being of a little bit of a younger age demographic instantaneously, this was like, oh my gosh, this is the future. And you talked a couple of times about, you know, what traditional telepharmacy looked like. And that really was using a information-based system like an EHR, for example, confirming medications, and then being able to follow up with a patient on the phone, which uh, we understand creates some inefficiencies because of, you know, when people call the phone number or you see the hospitals calling, sometimes you think that they may have made a mistake on your health bill. And we've all heard horror stories about that. You know, being able to have a visual interaction at the bedside with a trusted pharmacist where you can actually address any concerns or questions where you can be that counselor makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I would love to have an interaction with my doctor or my pharmacist before I leave the hospital. And then being able to leverage communication like we've talked about, either if that's SMS, if that's video chat, or if that's anything that you know we offer, that creates an incredible experience for the patient, but also gives them a trusted line to be able to reach out and address concerns, ask questions um, without having to play the, I guess, the gamut game of like, who should I call? Should I just not take this medication? Is that something that you see often? Sometimes when patients are confused, they just won't take their medication. And then what are some of the downstream effects of someone making a choice like that? Well, let's think, let's talk through that a bit and let's, let's take in the patient experience. You know, you've gone through some surgery or some horrific event in your life and you're sitting there in the bed it's time for you to go home. Everybody's bombarding you with stuff, right? Here's, here's this information. Here's this piece. Make sure you make this appointment. Your oxygen's going to be delivered tomorrow, you know, between 4 and, and 10 p.m. You know, you, you've got all this stuff that's coming at you, and there's no way for you to sort that out because you don't know what's coming next, right? So if we, and we, take a, a big piece of that is that pharmacy experience. We take that so lightly because now the, the patient's giving some papers. Now they have to go to find a pharmacy, get that prescription filled. They have to wait somewhere for that. There's more time involved. Uh, maybe the pharmacy doesn't have it. They have to order it. You know, there's all kinds of things. And, and then now who, who do you call? You know, who, you know, who, what, what's the next move? You know, who, who can I trust? Right. Kind of goes back to that whole trust thing. So, you know, if you, so now if you, if you started that interaction differently, if you discharge the patient from the bed, you delivered their medications that they're supposed to be on, you have a chance to interact with that patient at the bedside, you can give them education, but think about it from, from, again, that takes time from the pharmacist, right? But if you could do that from the pharmacy, if you could interact with the patient through tele uh, at the bedside, you can, you can deliver some education that they can see. You can watch a two minute video about their condition. You can talk about their medications and now they can talk to you about their medications. It's a two way street. Plus you can invite family members. And even if they're not physically there, if they're in another location, now you can invite those family members to be part of that experience. What a different experience of discharge you don't have to do extra waiting. You don't have to worry if all the things are going to be there. Everything is there. It's packaged up. And now there's one more burden that you don't have to think about. Uh, so it doesn't have to be, you know, there, there, and there's no afterthought. If now you could also follow that patient over several days to make sure that they get stabilized, whether that's texting or having some kind of a video interaction with that patient and, and having two-way communication, you know, so many times, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of EHRs are set up with one-way communication. Hey, you have an appointment on Tuesday at four o'clock. Well, you know what? I can't make it Tuesday at four o'clock because I'm having you know some oxygen delivered or something else is happening. Now you have to figure out how do I get in contact with those individuals that that were trying to set up that appointment. So not having that two-way communication is so vital 
and that patient experience. And now you can follow that patient for at least 30 days. And that also goes back to the whole problem of hospital readmission for chronic disease states. You know, hospitals get dinged for having that patient come back in within 30 days. So, you know, keeping that patient out of the hospital, having that constant communication with the patient. And and a lot of times, if you, one of the, the most often admissions is because there's some confusion or something adversely went wrong with the patient's medications, uh, some interaction with other meds or interaction with their condition or another condition that they have. So, you know, foregoing that from happening is such a critical piece and not just the patient experience, but there's a huge ROI with that. Absolutely. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, my personal experience. So a couple of years ago, I ruptured my patella tendon when I was here in Hawaii, visiting my girlfriend, had to fly back to Vegas, had knee surgery, which was completely different for me. And very much after I had surgery, I kind of woke up out of my anesthesia and very much like you had described, people were coming at me from every direction. People were telling my nurse was like, Hey, are you okay? Let's wake up. Let's get going. Your dad's here, blah, blah, blah. Same thing happens. They give me a packet of information. They give me a new bag of meds, right? Hydrocodone and a muscle relaxer, which I had never taken before. (laughs) And they basically say, okay, come back in two weeks. And the next day I wake up and I'm trying to remember through the fogginess, how many of these pills I'm supposed to take, how many, um, you know, times a day I take this. And of course, the first person who I ask is my dad. And I'm like, Hey, do you remember what I was supposed to do with this medication? He goes, uh, not really. And so now I'm in a completely foreign situation where my knee hurts like crazy. I'm taking these medications I've never taken before. And just based on, you know, through time recently in the last, let's say 10 years, opiates and other really strong medications have gotten either overused by people because we've got doctors who are handing them out like Skittles or people start to say, I don't want to take those because of their own conception of what those are going to do to me long term. And so being able to have a trusted resource that I could have reached out to, um, somebody who could have shepherded me through that process would have been much more amazing because that was one of the parts that I did not enjoy about having knee surgery other than the surgery itself was the reliance on me, an unexperienced patient to now manage my care all the way through the rest of my journey. And it's totally understandable how somebody could make a mistake by taking double the amount of medication that I'm supposed to take for my knee. And now that could create a long-term substance abuse issue because, you know, normally people don't take muscle relaxers. Normally people don't take high um, potency painkillers. Right. And so that's just an issue that I've seen through time, just in general. I mean, I know I've also multiple family members or family friends have started to take medicine and they've actually gotten in trouble because they've gotten addicted to them. Or a lot of people have medication that they just refuse to take because of their misconception about what these drugs can do to them. And so, you know, that entire patient experience is not so much just at the point of care, but it really is all the way around the rest of your entire patient experience. So I really appreciate all that input. It means a lot. Just, just, just imagine if, if now take that experience that you had with those two medications, put a few years on you, say you're 80 years old, and you've got, you've got six or seven more medications at home. And you can imagine the mess that, you know, this, this could evolve to. So, you know, again, you talk about the opioids and, you know, having this communication uh, with patients, it, that pendulum has actually swung the other way too. You know, patients are afraid of opiates. There isn't, there is definitely an issue out there, but then there's a subset of patients that aren't getting the, the relief that they should, you know, deserve. And that's, that's a problem too. So again, it, there's a fine balance, uh, but there is a balance and it's, it's something that just, you know, it's not just two weeks or three weeks or five weeks. It's something that really needs to be monitored very closely through those first few days when the patient's being discharged so that those opiates or whatever they're taking are, are fully adjusted. Yeah. It seems to me that, that in the, in, early days of not early as a pharmacy, but early, the earlier days than now that the pharmacist, the local pharmacist was like Keenan stated, like kind of like a, a counselor in the neighborhood because it was just a local a pharmacy at a local drugstore. And I think it's gotten away from that because pharmacy the industry has gotten so big. And I think that I, 
my my I what I envision what telehealth does is it it brings it back to that brings that human touch back. It also uh, brings an opportunity um, to reach people in in rural or or in urban urban neighborhoods who who do not have that um, who may have anxiety towards taking medication. Um, that extra bit of education and that and staying um, sticky to that patient, if you will, by the pharmacist will allow that that patient to uh, adhere to a, a program better. And, and there actually is a large amount of patients out there. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a few of them who, you know, during COVID, you know, did not leave their house. And, and now they're, they're still afraid to go out for whatever reason, you know, and, and so having that, that way of, to communicate with the patient uh, really makes a big difference in their lives. Absolutely. I mean, we saw a massive explosion of the adoption of telehealth over the last 16 months, let's call it, you know, before 2020, there was on average, you know, about 10% of people who had utilized telehealth in their own patient experience. That number is well above 80% now. And so with the adoption of tele that has happened so rapidly, what is your vision, Dr. Finnefrock, for the future um, and sustainability of telehealth? Because so many people are still having that internal monologue or that internal debate of COVID happened, COVID or COVID brought on telehealth, but telehealth really isn't going to be necessary. And from my perspective, you know, it's very difficult to push that genie back in the bottle once it's gotten out and people have really started to understand the effectiveness and accessibility of being able to communicate with their doctors and their care teams more effectively. I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on it because you've been in a space for so long. Right. So, so here's how I look at, at telehealth. Uh, Telehealth really is still in its infancy. You know, we have not fully explored all the ways that it could be used, but if you just think about, you know, your, your, your experience and your efficiencies or inefficiencies, I should say, you know, within healthcare is that we're still doing things the way we've always done it because that's the way we've always done it. Patient always comes in for their appointment. There's always a mess. The physician's always behind, you know, they forget an appointment you know, it, it, so we've always just, we've just done that because that's the way it's done. It hasn't changed in years. The only way, only time it was different, think about this, is in the early days of being a physician, you went and you visited patients in their home, right? So if you think about, you know, the old physician with the little brown bag, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, in those days, or, <laughs> you know, let's be honest, there wasn't much that you could really do, right? Very limited, you know, before antibiotics, uh, there was there was pain relievers and, and a lot of this stuff was was more, um, more, you know, magic in a bottle, right? And, and hope that it would work. So, you know, so what so what was that experience? That experience was some of the things that we touched on, you know, all during this uh, time that we spent together here. It's about the patient touch. It's about being in touch with the patient, listening to the patient, you know, that communication piece, somehow that communication piece got, got lost in the shuffle, right? And, and so that's why I always, I like to call it shuffling the patient along because that's what you're doing. You know, so you need to go see this person. This isn't my specialty. Talk to this person, go make this appointment, you know? So, you know, the, the patient is, it, it's turmoil for the patient and, and they start feeling like they are just a number, right? It's like, I'm, you know, part of this insurance plan and this is how I'm being treated. So, you know, getting back to those roots. So here's how, here's what, here's what I say is that during COVID, uh, we didn't learn anything new, but I think we did, we were taught lessons. So we were taught lessons of, of, you know, at-risk patients, making sure that they're the center of attention, that they need that family bond to be there with them as well. So having that full, full circle of communication, you know, physician, family member, patient, nurse, all the ancillary services that that patient needs. And I think what we found is that we don't, we don't need the patient coming to a certain spot. You know, a lot of things we can address in the patient's home where they're more comfortable. You know, I look at it as being going forward, it's gonna be a hybrid. 
that's going to be some in, you know, some visits have to be in person. You know, I totally get that. And that will continue to happen. But the other ones, things that are follow-ups, you know, if you think, you know, think about your knee surgery, when you just went in, you went in and saw the patient, saw the physician, they did some juggle with your knee and said, okay, you know, if you have any problems, you know, let me know, right? You look pretty good. So that probably could have happened over a video uh, interaction, right? Uh, you know, if you have something that you can see, you know, at least 300 degrees, you can move, move around, you know, you can, it's a visual thing, right? So, you know, having that kind of interaction with the patient, uh, there's no reason to come in for person. Uh, I also believe that, uh, you know, for, you know, there's, you know, when you go to the physician's office, you got to fill out a bunch of forms, even though you've been there, you know, a hundred times, you're still filling out a form that just doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, so, you know, it's, it's more, you know, uh, issues, especially for elderly patients, right. You know, getting to the appointment, having to call a family member, you trying to use Uber or whatever they're using to get there. It's, you know, no one's thinking about the inconvenience to the patient. So I think, you know, I think what we, one of the lessons we learned is that that patient needs to be center of care. And I think this is going to set us up for the hospital at home. You know, we've talked about that for years and years. I've never really been able to pull it off, but I think now there is a place for that to truly happen where maybe some more acute things can be taken care of in the home or if the patient's discharged to home, uh, they can have a better experience by having a lot of services done within the home. Well, I mean, let's talk on that for a second. So a lot of the staple or the flagship healthcare systems really model their patient suites to be versions of the home, right? Because there are studies out there that talk about, you know, the comfortability and the ability for someone to feel at home in a hospital system has a huge impact on their ability to heal. I mean, there's been lots of studies as well as, you know, something I heard a couple of years ago and actually read about was there was a measurable impact and difference in the actual construction and technology that was being used in hospitals. People who are in older hospitals um, don't heal as well as someone who's in a newer hospital that feels more cleanly, feels more homey, feels more inviting. And so, you know, if I were to think about my best ability to heal or my best ability to heal as a patient, I would want to be in an environment that makes me feel comfortable. And so with the adoption of telehealth, and another thing that's very popular in the space right now is RPM. So being able to remotely monitor a patient in their environment really is going to help us create that hospital at home version, right? To be able to manage chronic conditions, being able to interact with people specifically in their space. Um, because the world that we live in now is really more based on communication. It's more based on convenience. It's more based on your ability to be more efficient in whatever we do. And so I completely stand behind that vision because I continue to think about what is healthcare going to be like in 20 years? You know, one of the things that we always talked about in the day was the Jetsons, um, you know, cartoon. People think about that type of technology um, back in the day as being absolutely futuristic. But if you look around you now, you know, when you live in places that have an Amazon distribution center, you can think about something, make one click on your phone, and before you get home from work that day, that product is on your front door, right? I mean, like these things and these systems around us are creating amazing, amazing efficiencies, and healthcare is in the infancy of being able to create those efficiencies as well. And it's going to be a wild ride. I'm really excited. Yeah, it really is an exciting time to, to be involved in medicine. There's, you know, we've made so many leaps and bounds in the last few years. And I think in the next couple of years going forward with, and a lot of it's to do with, with technology and, you know, new medications that are coming out, you know, we're actually able to cure cancers now, which, you know, we haven't made any big changes in, in oncology and, and cancer therapy for many years. So, you know, having those, those things available and, and a lot of them uh, do need, you do need to have some medical supervision for them. They're very powerful medications and there's side effects that have to be monitored and watched. So, you know, whether they're in the hospital environment or an infusion center environment, you know, nursing can't, you can't have one-on-one -on -one nursing for everybody. So having some way to visually 
uh, oversee that patient is very important and to have some interaction with that patient as well, whether they're in the hospital, in a rehab or at home. Absolutely. And so, you know, me and you, and I know something that you've kind of sparked inspiration in me a couple of times is talking about the um, evolution in genetics, specifically in pharmaceuticals. Um, you know, from your perspective, what does the future look like once we have a complete understanding of, you know, the human genome and being able to specifically design drugs for people um, in the future? What are some of the efficiencies that you see compared to the old day and somewhat what the future is going to look like? Yeah, you know, we're, so we're going to have uh, more designer uh, therapy, and it's going to be based on your own, your own genetic. So, you know, doing a genetic profile, taking that profile, then matching it to those, you know, we I talked about some of those high-powered meds. You know, the way we've treated a lot of diseases is a shotgun therapy, right? Let's just blow everything up at them, and hopefully, you know, something good's going to happen. Unfortunately, when you do that, you kill live cells as well as cancerous cells. So having some, you know, really designer therapy that goes right to where the cancer is or what right to where the condition is, whether it's, you know, targeting an organ or targeting, you know, how you metabolize something. We all, you know, I mentioned before, we're all very different, right? Very complex biological systems. So if you have, you know, I'll call them uh, I'll call them designer therapies because I don't want them to get confused with designer drugs, but we'll call them designer <laughs> therapy because, because that's really what it is. I'm, I'm going to tailor a therapy. I'm going to dose a medication based on you, your unique, your uniqueness, because we're all, we all are unique. And that's how I see, you know, uh, the future, but it also goes hand in hand with how that patient is going to be managed. And you can't just have these high power drugs and put all this money into technology to dose and, and, you know, find the right therapy for a patient if you can't monitor and follow them. So, you know, those are the pieces. I don't think we've completely thought that all the way through, but, you know, I still think, you know, the, you know, with the addition of some kind of advanced monitoring, and some telehealth uh, uses that, like I said before, there's things we haven't even thought about yet. That's where I see a place for that telehealth is going to evolve to with that designer therapy. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the most fearful and maybe anxiety-filled experiences is to um, have some type of medical emergency or some type of condition or be sick. And so I think our um, attention to um, just improving the patient experience in overall care um, is something Keenan said, said uh, a few months ago that kind of stuck with me is that, you know, we, we take the word, we kind of forget the word care when we're talking about healthcare. We, we, we focus on health and we forget the care part and the, and the communication is definitely a huge part of that. So um, I, I'm excited about where we're moving, the direction that we're moving in, in terms of telehealth and how we're providing care. Well, I mean, it's just like, you know, the the adaptation of technology and the delivery of healthcare has exploded over the last years. And a good example is there was a hospital system that spent a couple million dollars um, investing into things like VR, for example. Right. So a boon, a, a burn care unit. They're putting VR onto people. They're putting the goggles on, and they're putting them in environments that are snowy. Right. Because our mind is so powerful that it has the ability to affect how we heal and how we deal with certain conditions. And so, you know, in the past, my perspective is healthcare has always been about putting hands on you. But then the last years, we've seen that there's been a rapid growth in things like meditation, things like mindset. And now all of those things are starting to be integrated into healthcare in general. I mean, medication is great. But your mind is an incredibly powerful tool that we have the ability to continue to harness. And as we do things like genetic mapping, we do things that give us a better understanding of the entire human picture. You know, just point of care health is not always what it's about, but there are things like diets, things like mindset, things like the medications we're taking, exercising. All of those things have a huge impact on our ability to heal and be healthy long term. I mean, I heard something pretty crazy a couple months ago, and it talked about, you know, there are children who are born today who are going to have the ability to live to about 120 because of all of the things that are available to them. 
And so if you think about the ability to maintain your body, the ability to have, you know, um, recovery therapies, designer medications, designer therapies that you can have specific for your body. I mean, the future is here now, you know, and we're very much in the infancy of what we're all going to see. And I can imagine that, you know, seeing the world in which you came from, Dr. Finnefrock, where you were trusted to ride your little wagon down to the corner store and then go off into the community and deliver drugs to the people who are in your community to where we're at now, you know, that has been a rapid change and that was not that long ago. And so I can't imagine what the future is going to be like here in, um, in the future. It's going to be pretty amazing. Absolutely. And I think, I, you know, I, I truly believe that the future is bright. And, you know, I think what, what all of us, and I, I know CEOs of major uh, medical and hospital corporations, you know, they all, want, they all want the same thing. They want to deliver the best care to the patients. And ultimately, they want to be the center of excellence. And I think everything that we talked about just moves you much more closer to that. Part of it's getting back to basics, but getting back to basics and then using the technology that we have at our fingertips to make that advance. Absolutely. I mean, like we talked about, the future is incredibly bright. I think telehealth is very much in its infancy, like we talked about. Um, the future is going to give us new revolutions and evolution in human care um, that we can't even foresee yet. But I'm just glad that, you know, we've been able to surround ourselves and start to build our team with people like you, Dr. Finnefrock, who have the opportunity to give insights, to have a great vision for the future. Um, because, you know, I think we're going to do some pretty amazing stuff together, not for ourselves, but for all the people who surround us. Um, you know, the next years are going to be pretty incredible. Absolutely. To have this conversation with someone whose life's vision and work has been pharmacy, and you've been able to transform that into um, a lifetime of care for others, it's a beautiful thing. And um, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. It's a great conversation, man. Thanks, Dr. Finnefrock. We really appreciate you joining us today. You've been absolutely amazing. Appreciate being here. Thank you very much. This has been the It's Telehealth podcast. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys in the future. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the It's Telehealth podcast. Stay current by subscribing to It's Telehealth on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>